What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for the week of March 7th, 2018. My name's Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host today. And I'm joined, as usual, by my co-podcasters. First up, here in studio, fellow 538 sports writer Kyle Wagner, who braved the snow to come in. Hey, Kyle. It's, or by my government name, Kyle Wagner, and his box of tissues. Yeah, right. You're still looking a little uh, uh, allergic today, I guess, is the right way to put it. I don't know what it is at this point, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll diagnose as the show goes on. And of course, on the line from Chicago, we've got 538 sports writer Chris Herring. Hey, Chris. What's going on, man? How are you guys? Doing good. Yeah, it's a, it's a little snowy here. It sounds like you've already gotten your share of it uh, overnight. Chicago with better weather than any place is a good day to celebrate, I think. Yeah, sounds like it. So uh, on that occasion, we're going to take uh, the opportunity today to talk about just how crazy the playoff picture is in the NBA, specifically in the Western Conference, where just four and a half games separate the three seed from the 10 seed. We also have a significant digit to bring you about the super efficient season that Denver Nuggets guard Gary Harris is having. But first, we're going to zero in on one particular Western Conference team, and that is the streaking Portland Trailblazers. Don't look now, but the Portland Trailblazers are climbing up the standings and fast. After beating the Knicks Tuesday night for their eighth straight win and their 10th in their last 11 games, the Blazers are now one game clear of the Pelicans for sole possession of third place in the Western Conference. Kyle, you wrote about this team for 538 on Monday before they beat the Lakers. Have they played their way into the conversation of potentially being a playoff dark horse coming out of the West? Coming out of the West? No, no. You would have to go through one and probably both of like Houston and Golden State. Uh, but for that next tier of like who's going to give them those two teams a little bit of a series in the second round and, you know, have pieces in place to to build on for next year, whether it's, uh, you know, finding a really nice player in the draft, you know, a little later on or signing, you know, uh, you know, player here and there in free agency. Uh, yeah, they're definitely in that next group of interesting teams. Yeah, the 538 model currently gives Portland a 3% chance of winning the conference and a 1% chance of winning the NBA title, which are both up from basically 0% a couple weeks ago. So what has gotten into this team to sort of spark this run that they're on? Uh, and, and what do you guys see that's sort of causing them to play so much better than they were earlier in the season? You know, I, I well, first off, I, I almost feel like I owe them an apology. I remember writing probably the most heavy-handed piece I've written at 538 about them last year uh, when they kind of washed out of the playoffs. You know, barely make the playoffs and then kind of washed out. And I, I think I referred to them as NBA Jam with, with Dame Lillard and, and C.J. McCollum. Yeah, that's right. And the, just the idea that their offense is so dominated by those two guys. And I think when I wrote the story, they had the lowest postseason assist rate combined of, of any backcourt in recent modern history. Um, you know, their defense has been a lot better. We, we talked about this on a previous podcast. Their defense has been a lot better than we kind of expected this season. Terry Stotts does a really, really nice job with this team. Dame Lillard kind of goes on these ridiculous stretches, even last night's game, um, where he I, – I, I think we don't talk about it much uh, normally because Steph is kind of in a league in a world of his own when he gets hot. But behind Steph – Damian Lillard might be the most fun player to watch when he just goes off um, because he kind of takes Steph types of shots. Um, but it's just a, it's it's a team that I think we kind of have this preconceived notion of how flawed they are as far as a cap standpoint that really a lot of us kind of have counted them out already just because they're not really built in a totally ideal way. Um, 
And I think, you know, just based off recent history, kind of like what we've said about Toronto for so long, that you just kind of start to get that ingrained in your head with Portland. They deserve a lot of credit for kind of hanging in there and kind of just, you know, staying put and, and holding strong while a lot of other teams are moving up and down throughout that race. Not totally ideal to be paying Evan Turner 17, no. 18, 19 million <laughs> for this season and the next two. Really? Yeah, it's <laughs> suboptimal, we call that. Um, but no, like they have obviously improved on defense this season. Um, they started really strong where they were in the top three or four over the first few months. And then they slid in December and then they really slid in January and then, uh, have recovered, you know, month by month since then. But, um, the, the kind of the underlying principles have stayed in place. So we looked at, uh, QSQ, which is the second spectrum shot quality of, you know, where are the defenders, where the, is the shot being taken? Basically um, what we would expect the effective field goal percentage to be based on, like, the particulars of where the shot was taken, but right. not the defenders themselves. Not the defenders themselves, not the shooters themselves, like just how good are the shots, you know, in a vacuum. And the Blazers are first in the league. And they have been first in the league even in the months like January where they have, you know, tanked on, you know, defensive rating overall. And yes, there are obviously things that go into it beyond, you know, just where the XY coordinates and, you know, what's going on. But it's important to know that because of the style that they play, uh, that those things have been true even when the defense hasn't been performing as well. And so the style that is, is basically just drop. They just drop Nurkic. They just drop, drop guys into the lane on pick and roll on anything and ask the guards to fight around the screen to fight over and just get back into the play. So like Dame Lillard will block shots from behind. McCollum will, you know, challenge from behind in ways that like they hadn't in the past when they were just asked, you know, kind of, you know, well, just figure this thing out. Like we're going to just, you know, play this a little more straight up. And no, like the plan is like, oh yeah, we aren't expecting our backcourt to stay in front of guys the entire time. We're going to send help when it's more of a, a perimeter guy, you know, setting the screen and we're just going to still drop Nurkic back here. Uh, but there's a plan in place for you guys getting beat and you just have to, you know, hustle and get back into the play as you can. And that's made a big difference. Yeah. And it seems like they're sort of, uh, just daring the, the other team to take kind of bad shots or, or low expected point shots. Uh, you looked at this in your story where they're not forcing a lot of turnovers. They're not, you know, limiting teams from getting to the line they're just having the other team miss a lot of shots and they're and they're rebounding those and uh to the point about you know them flipping things on defense uh this is only the 20th time since the merger so 1977 that a team has gone from being in the bottom 10 in defensive efficiency one season to being a top five defense that's where they are right now they're fifth in defensive efficiency the next season so it really is sort of a rare moment where you know we talked uh, and, and you alluded to this chris that before the season we thought we knew the book on this team bad defensive team uh pretty good offensive team but overly reliant on two players and the offense is sort of stayed according to that script and it's just been the defense that has completely turned around from what we thought we were going to see out of this team going into the year i mean the strange thing is that i'd have to look at the numbers uh to be able to say it definitively but i'm pretty sure that the previous two years you just talked about how they were bad last year now they're pretty decent good this season i want to say the previous two years the same thing happened where they were toward the bottom of the league um and then the next season they were closer to the top of the league defensively as well so it's kind of I mean what that tells you it kind of speaks to why I think people are relatively justified us included and not really taking them seriously as a long-term threat in the Western Conference because you know they they, first of all when we talk about the, the quantified shot quality and everything like that offensively this is a team that kind of has two guys that take really really difficult shots I know we've talked about CJ McCollum and kind of how he's one of the best 
tough shot makers in the league, it's really hard to rely on guys to consistently make those shots. DeMar DeRozan is at the top of that list. Kobe was at the top of that list for a long time. Porzingis is kind of finding himself at the top of that list now, but it's hard to know exactly what you're going to get night in and night out from people that take those sorts of shots. And with defenses that kind of are up and down and, and kind of more dependent on whether another team makes jump shots, and if you're kind of leaving those shots open, um, it, it's kind of more of a gamble and it's kind of more risk. Um, it's, it's welcoming risk in a way that a lot of the best teams in the league really don't do. They have something that's more stable from year to year. Okay, so let's put down the Blazers there and zoom out to talk about the whole conference. First, before that, though, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor. This week's episode of The Lab is brought to you by Stitch Fix. You can always tell a guy who's got style. He always looks great and seems confident like he's ready for anything. Well, that takes a certain skill set that not all of us were born with. Certainly, speaking for myself, I can uh, attest to that. But now there's an easy way to look better with Stitch Fix for men. Stitch Fix is the new way to shop for clothes, and it's unbelievably simple. Just go to stitchfix.com and answer some questions about your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend. Stitch Fix will have clothes for every guy and his style. It's not just one type of look either. Your personal stylist will use your preferences and the other information that you enter to select brand new clothes just for you. And the items are delivered right to your home where you'll try them on and only pay for what you end up keeping. Just send anything you don't want back and shipping is free both ways. Get your fix on demand or sign up to receive scheduled shipments. Guys of all shapes, sizes, and budgets agree that defining your new style starts with Stitch Fix. Try them out today. You've got nothing to lose. And get started now at stitchfix.com slash the lab. That's one word, T-H-E-L-A-B. And you'll get 25% off when you keep all five items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash the lab to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash the lab. All right, as promised, uh, we're going to expand this conversation out from the Blazers and talk about the Western Conference as a whole. Obviously, at the top of the conference, as we talked about uh, a few minutes ago, you've got the Rockets and the Warriors, who we could devote a whole episode to and probably will soon enough. But about a mile below those two, or at least 11 and a half games below, is Portland leading this really tightly packed group of teams in which only four and a half games separate the number three seed from the number 10 seed. And basically, that leaves us with eight teams fighting for six slots. So first of all, I wanted to open it up for you guys and ask, who among those teams do you see as having the edge, uh, not only in getting to the playoffs, but once they get there, potential to pull an upset even, uh, and also, you know, why? Uh, who, who's jumped out to you so far among that that eight-team group below the Rockets and Warriors? Uh, you know, I, I look at it, I mean, it's, it's tough because everybody's playing pretty well for the most part. You've got a couple teams that are slipping, and we know who they are, basically Minnesota, and you've got the Spurs, but I mean, and, and we talked about this in our Slack channel the other day. Utah had won 15 of 17 and hasn't budged in terms of where they are in the standings. You think about how incredible that is. Yeah, they started out 10th before this 17 game run, and now they are still 10th in the West. That's insane. When you posted that, I, I couldn't even believe it. Yeah, I mean, it's insane. You think about another team that's doing that very quietly. Well, not that quietly because it's a major market. The Lakers. The Lakers in another year, I mean, put them in the Eastern Conference, for example, um, they would probably be talked about as a team that, you know, a couple games from now is solidly in the playoff race, but they're really not even that close just given the fact that nobody else is budging here. So, I mean, I think you have to look at it. New Orleans is, is has been incredible, um, and you look at them, you look at Utah, 
But it, it might not matter for teams unless they can continue this sort of thing. You have to look very closely at who these teams have to play the next few weeks. Uh, you know, a couple of them have a real murderer's row of a schedule. Um, and I mentioned this on the last podcast we did. I basically said, okay, I think Minnesota will make the playoffs just because I think they did enough before Butler got hurt. But all of a sudden, them, the Spurs, who, you know, I was just at a game in San Antonio this past weekend. They dropped a, a really bad loss to the Lakers that all of a sudden, when you look at their schedule, they've got the Warriors coming up this week. I think they play them again next week. They've got Oklahoma City coming up. Uh, they've got Houston coming up. It, it's just a, a rough time right now. If you've got players injured, if you've got a tough schedule, um, you know, if you're in a beneficial spot where you've already played the toughest part of your schedule, which I think Denver has, um, it's a, it, it's just incredible. It's really fun, honestly, uh, to look at the West and the way it's shaking out because really, I think when you've kind of got a foregone conclusion of which team or which teams are going to be in the finals, which, you know, maybe Houston so far has made a good enough compelling argument to where we don't know that yet in the West, but for the most part, you kind of feel like you have a sense. At least there's something compelling during the season to kind of figure out who's going to make it in. And even the situation with Portland, you know, where, where do they finish seed wise? This is, this has been a great playoff, uh, race so far in the West. Yeah, and I do think it's going to come down to schedule for a lot of this to where even throwing out travel and like home and away, whatever, just going by um, record of, you know, the teams that you have to play remaining, the Spurs, who have the hardest schedule remaining in, you know, the Western Conference playoff race, uh, 58 winning percentage uh, for that, which is a four seed in both conferences. So their average uh, team is like a team that has home court advantage uh, right now in the playoffs, uh, which is going to make it tough if, you know, LaMarcus remains banged up and they don't get Kawhi back in like a relatively timely fashion, which, you know, that's looking less and less likely. But as far as, you know, answering the second half of the question of like once they get there, um, which teams have a shot at, you know, giving the the Rockets and the Warriors, you know, kind of a series. Um, like it's the boring answer, but it kind of is just for me, at least it's the Thunder and it's the Spurs. The Spurs are like heavily predicated on, you know, Kawhi coming back in, you know, some kind of, you know, useful way, um, much more than he had in the, in the first run, which, um, took him several games to get looking, you know, anything like playing shape. But, uh, the Thunder are a team where like they have played well against, uh, the Warriors. They're, they're what? They're two and one against them. And, you know, the Warriors are just like, oh yeah, those are just regular season games. Sure. But like there's something to like the proof of concept of that where, the Spurs last season um, like showed that they could play against the the Warriors in the regular season, and then before Kawhi got hurt in that first game, uh, they were showing that like oh well there might actually be something here, and so yes like the Warrior or shit three two one so yes the Thunder have you know a bunch of problems. Melo has to play a lot better night to night. They need to uh, they need to address a bunch of things, but they're one of these teams that like at their best. Uh, they can they can put it together for a few games. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons we might be seeing such a logjam is that all of these teams that you guys mentioned have sort of question marks. They have their flaws. Minnesota, we talked last week about Jimmy Butler's injury. New Orleans has been putting up with the Boogie Cousins injury for about a month now, and it's taken Anthony Davis just turning it up to another gear uh, to be able to kind of put them on the run that they're on now. Portland, we just talked about. Spurs without Kawhi, the Jazz and the Nuggets, and even the Clippers are in there. They have a 45% chance of making the playoffs according to the 538 model. Uh, and so it does seem like, you know, the flip side of having a bunch of teams with sort of flaws or question marks is this 
almost unprecedented uh, clump of teams that are at least in the mix and causing uh, the exciting season that, that you talked about, Chris. Uh, just to throw a number at you guys, I you know last week we talked about uh, how unprecedented it was to have so many teams that were within a couple games of the worst record in the league, but. Uh, I went back and looked since 1990, the same year we looked at last week, for the smallest gaps between the number three and number 10 seeds in any conference over the same span. And lo and behold, the 2018 Western Conference is the only time uh, since 1990 in which four and a half games separated number three from number 10 in any conference on March 7th uh, over that span as well. So... You know, this we're we're sort of seeing this historical clump of teams down at the bottom tanking uh, that we devoted a whole podcast segment to that last week, and now we're also seeing this unprecedented group of teams in the middle uh, above them trying to kind of fight to get into the playoffs, and then of course you have the Warriors who have been sort of leading that stratification at the top of the league, also in sort of a historic way. So we're we're seeing these like very distinct you know tiers that teams are breaking into maybe more so in the western conference in 2018 than any other group of teams in nba history i think i mean i would almost uh like add another phenomenon to that where yeah we have this uh incredible group that's you know clunched together um but also we have this incredible run of injuries where like every team except for like the blazers really and like lillard's missed some games uh, they've they've had a few but less than everyone else but they're in the three seed because they've been relatively intact but you go down the rest of the list the pelicans obviously have lost boogie uh the spurs like we don't even have to talk about the uh the timberwolves just lost butler the thunder lost robertson nuggets lost Millsap for like a huge chunk of the season the clippers again we barely have to talk about that the jazz lost gobert for a while even the lakers down at 11 uh lonzo has missed a tremendous amount of games to where all these teams like usually um like we wouldn't have like quite so many suffering like just like devastating injuries to very crucial vital players and like the playoff picture would just like naturally shake out in kind of a more stratified way uh but this season just everyone seems to have you know just gotten some kind of really like team defining injury uh and they've just clustered together um in the standings as well yeah, that's a great point, Kyle. And uh, just to play devil's advocate a little, uh, to push back against my own point that I started at the beginning of the segment is, is this kind of pseudo drama? Like we've been so starved for for competitiveness in the NBA and, and the big picture, and this season has offered more of it than most seasons. That we're just sort of looking for storylines below the Warriors and and below teams that have emerged like the Rockets. Is, is this all just sort of you know, window dressing for once we get to the playoffs, we know that these teams, whoever emerges into this into the playoffs and into the second round, they're probably going to get crushed by Houston and Golden State, and that's going to probably be the Western Conference Final, no matter what happens in this, you know, nominally exciting stretch run uh, of the regular season in the West. Yes, I, I, I'll qualify by saying that I think maybe something could happen. I mean, I'm I don't want to give up on the Spurs. Just yet, just because, I mean, if Kawhi comes back, and the, and the difference is, you know, I covered a Knicks team. can't even believe I'm comparing the Knicks and the Spurs here. <laughs> I covered a Knicks team that was dumb enough to bring back Amari Stoudemire um, after he'd kind of recovered enough from surgery and rehab from surgery, but brought him back in the playoffs, and he was so rusty. He picked up like four fouls in like two minutes, um, and then Mike Woodson kind of forced him into the rotation in the playoffs. His horrible timing against the Pacers. The fact that the Spurs aren't doing that with Kawhi, that they're expected to get him back hopefully later this month, and that you maybe get a chance to play him for a solid month. Who knows whether he'll play every day or anything like that. 
But if if he can look anything like his normal self, um, maybe it's a long shot. Who knows? But if that happens and they can integrate him back in, okay, I I, I would give them an outside chance. It, it you know look at what they did to the Rockets last year, for instance. I mean, it's a much different Rockets team, obviously. But that's really the only team that I feel pretty good about. You look at other teams matchup wise, uh, the Nuggets have looked really bad against um, you know against. A team like Houston, for instance, this year. So I don't like their chances if they have to play them. Um, so some of the matchups just don't favor. Um, well, Minnesota's going to be doing this for the first time. If they make the playoffs, I don't really like their chances. Oklahoma City, I would have felt pretty good about, but I think Robertson is a massive blow for them, particularly once they get to the playoffs. So that really, when it comes down to it, I've, I, I mostly feel like it's the Rockets and the Warriors. But I would leave an outside chance for the Spurs if they can get everybody healthy and if Kawhi can get into a groove before the playoffs start. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm right there with you on the Spurs. Um, like we talked about them a little bit before, but just to throw some numbers at you since uh, the start of February, just uh, as an arbitrary mark. But like you know, uh, Parker you know sat down recently um, and you know let Dejounte Murray come in, and but just since the start of February, uh, Parker Murray and Ginobili. All have been producing at, you know, about a hundred or more, uh, points per possession on pick and roll, which is something that they hadn't been doing at all this season. Uh, Patty Mills, who, you know, we thought, you know, might step into like a starting role when he was, uh, resigned this summer and, you know, was just has retained the backup role, whatever else hasn't played as well. Um, and that like had been a thing where like they really needed production and Murray's been fantastic. And that's the thing where like Murray is, uh, going to be asked to, to step into the role, even if Kawhi comes back and is, you know, um, some version of himself. We we kind of have to assume that he's not going to be the very best version. But uh, last season he'd been running a bunch of pick and roll that he hadn't done earlier in his career, and that was you know what was really being one of the staples of the offense that needed a lot of creation. As as Parker has you know tailed off, and Ginobili can't really do everything that he used to. Uh, Kawhi had stepped into that role. Murray is stepping into that role now, and that's something that you know is very new for this team. Uh, that would you know maybe give them uh, a shot against those two teams, but. I will say overall, yes, I agree with Chris. It's window dressing on like kind of a a season in which we we more or less know what's happening. But we're also burying the lead here, which is we've thrust another team right up there with the Warriors, right? Houston, yeah. We 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 barely talk about because like we're just like, oh yeah, it's boring. We've we've known what's going to happen with the Western Conference for years now. It's the same thing. No, no, no. We we have double the number of teams that we think are at that level, and like I think that that is like actually true. And like yeah, we can be a little less certain because we haven't seen them do it in the playoffs. And you know, it's Chris Paul, it's James. Harden, sure, uh, but we could have said the same thing for the Warriors in that first year that the Warriors made their run. And when a team is performing like this in the regular season, it is very rare that like there's a flame out that that it isn't like for real in the playoffs. Uh, like Dirk sixty seven win Mavericks team aside, maybe. But yes, like. We are totally ignoring the fact that we don't know what's going to happen in the Western Conference. Uh, we have this, we have this new contender that, uh, that we kind of are, you know, not paying enough attention to as we, we pay attention to, you know, seeds three through 11. Right. Okay. So you've made a good case that we should talk about the Rockets, uh, in a segment on the show pretty soon, uh, especially since even after the playoff adjustment that we do in the Carmelo model at 538, uh, we give the Rockets a 43% chance of winning the title right now, and the Warriors are only at 24%. Wow. Yeah, and the Raptors are at 18%. Wow. Uh, this has to be the 
easily the biggest challenge that the Warriors have faced um, at any point during their their run over the past few years. Cleveland included, aside from you know the the upset that Cleveland pulled in the finals, uh, just coming out of the regular season, this this Rockets team seems as formidable as we've seen any any team rise up and and challenge the Warriors in that way. So let's put aside the rest of the Western Conference right now. We'll get to Houston in a future episode. But for now, let's wrap things up and close out the episode with a segment we like to call Significant Digits right after we hear this word from another sponsor. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than just posting your job online and hoping that the right people see it. ZipRecruiter knew that there was a smarter way and they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you'll find them. That's why businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And right now, listeners to The Lab can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash The Lab. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash T-H-E-L-A-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash The Lab. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, right now, it's the time for that moment in the show when we bring you a number from around the league that caught our eye, whether it's an emerging trend or just interesting to us. This week's significant digit is 2.8. That is the ratio between the number of good shooting games and bad shooting games for Denver Nuggets shooting guard Gary Harris. And it's something that you wrote about this week, Chris. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Harris and, and just what stood out to you when you were researching and writing the story about him, because he's been one of the most under-the-radar, consistently good players uh, in the league this season so I, I I have like a weird affinity for certain things in in the league I, I like I really like guys that don't it doesn't feel like they get their full due with regards to how good they are and I think more than good consistent they are so I've liked Gary Harris for years um, I've been paying more attention to him this year as Denver's kind of been a team that people thought make might make more noise Um and so I just was kind of curious. I, I tweeted one day when I was watching him play that he reminds me a little bit of Conley, but he actually reminds me a little bit of a smaller version of Kawhi Leonard in the same way because Kawhi kind of fit that profile too, someone that was good at a lot of things. He was obviously great at defense the whole time, but I don't really think got the sort of credit that he deserved up until he won that finals MVP. And then after that, he kind of became more of a household name. And so I kind of got into looking at ways to compare Gary Harris's career with Kawhi's and came across at least six or seven different statistics that kind of um, were identical in terms of, I think, within a tenth of a point points per game through their first four years. Um, you know, basically the same assist per game, basically the same field goal percentage, the same three point percentage, all within their first four years. And the fact that even year three to year four, that Gary Harris has kind of gone through the exact same. Uh, increase in points per game that Kawhi did in years three to four. Now, I doubt that he makes the jump from year four to year five and year five to year six that Kawhi did because he basically got nine or ten points better per game and, you know, 26-point per game score. I don't think Gary Harris is going to make that jump, especially without a one-on-one game like Kawhi developed. But And he's also shorter, so he's not going to be quite as 
much of a difference maker on defense, but he does deflect just as many passes per game as Kawhi was, um, you know, a year ago or something like that. So I just like players like that. I feel like they don't get enough credit. And Harris is just so consistent on a night-to-night basis in terms of how well he shoots um, that he's really never going to shoot you out of a game, which is important. You know, as someone that covered J.R. Smith, that's very important. Someone is not going to shoot you out of a game, particularly when you're a team that is just kind of average or slightly above average the way that Denver is. You can't afford to have a guy that's going to uh, take up a fifth of your offense or more than that and, um, you know, have a bunch of games where he's shooting 35% or 30%. Gary Harris almost never does that compared to how well he shoots um, from night to night. So, so I'm mad we didn't talk about this before before you did it because, like, uh, Gary Harris has been one half of one of the things that I've been fascinated with over the last few years, which is the Jokic to Harris and Harris to Jokic connections, where Jokic throws more passes to Harris for shots than any other connection in the league. Like, and he, that's been true for, for a while. Like, more than Chris Paul to DeAndre, more than whatever, it's been, like, Jokic to Harris, and they do it at not just a tremendous rate, but they're, they're just good shots. They're already very, like, valuable shots by the quantified shot quality. But then on top of that, Harris adds, uh, I think it's like a 10 effective field goal percentage on top of that into where they are just, um, like they're one of these, uh, duos that like Jokic knows exactly how he likes, you know, not just like the, the pass into a shot, but how does he like the 40 foot lead pass exactly? And Jokic is a good enough passer to throw it. And also Jokic is a center who brings the ball up the court often enough that that's happening for some reason. Uh, and he knows how he likes, you know, on the handoff, how he likes these moving screens set. And he knows like <laughs> all these, like these little things where like these dudes know exactly where they are on the court and like, it's it's really nice when like if you just watch that team like th- that connection is obvious it just pops off the screen and it's one of those nice things where then when you go look at the underlying metrics like oh no th- it pops off that screen too of oh like these two are passing to each other at this phenomenal rate and and it's really like, super valuable in the league too in a way that like most connections aren't like a short of like a LeBron to Kyle Korver or something like that but it's at that ri- it's at that uh, that level yeah and I don't think a lot of people would kind of think that that would be one of the most efficient pairings of teammates of any team in the league and they're right up there when i looked at that uh because kyle that was one of the things that jumped out at me too when i watched them play and then after watching them play kind of wanted a number to validate what i thought i was seeing on the screen they so when they pass to each other I, i looked this up and i think it's one of the cooler things you can look up through second spectrum's data um what like you said the effective field goal rate that they shoot when they're passing the ball to each other and i think when Jokic passes to Harris, Harris shoots something like 62% effective field goal rate, which puts him, if you were to just basically compare that to someone in the league, a player in the league, that's higher than Steph when you do that. And then when Harris passes to Jokic, it's 64 or 65 effective field goal rate. And when you compare that, it's basically Clint Capella who leads the league in effective field goal percentage. So they're basically getting literally the best the most efficient players in the league, that's what kind of shot they're getting each time they pass the ball to each other and take a shot off. It's incredible. And it, you know, it, it gives you a lot of faith that if they're totally healthy, they find the right guys to pair alongside those two. They still have problems on defense. That's their real issue. Uh, Harris is a really, really good defender. I make basically the comparison in the story to Kawhi Leonard, obviously, but he's a lot smaller than Kawhi. So he's not going to have that impact quite on defense. But Jokic is not really a rim protector. They're still trying to find the right combination there. They probably found part of it in Paul Millsap, but he, like you said earlier, he was hurt for most of the season. They just got him back. 
But that's a team that I just think is a lot of fun to watch for several different reasons, not the least of which is those two playing with each other. Yeah, Denver ranks sixth right now in offensive rating, and that probably speaks a lot to that number that you dug up, the 2.8 ratio of just Harris never having a bad night. Uh, he ranks fourth in the league in that, in that number behind only Kevin Durant, LeBron, and Clay Thompson. Uh, so it really does speak to just the value of putting up, you know, you know that you can have at least one player on your team, or in the case of Denver, two players that just put up you know, a very efficient night almost every single game of the year. And that adds up over the the course of a very long NBA season. So in, in kind of trying to figure out what makes him so valuable uh, when I was researching the story, I mean, we knew he was a good shooter. Um, and clearly when you look at what Kawhi did and why it's going to be so difficult for Gary Harris to kind of continue improving as much as Kawhi did is basically, and, and both of you guys wrote about this, Kyle, you wrote a piece. Uh, I remember there was that one week that Kawhi's, MVP campaign kind of, you know, hit the map for real when he stole the ball from James Harden and, and then went down and, and scored on his own. That's still, he and took, took the ball, took, took the ball from James Harden. The, the thing that I don't think Gary Harris is going to be able to do, he's not going to be able to match the one on one efficiency that Kawhi came out of nowhere with, um, last year and part of the year before. So that's the challenge. But what I will say that I was kind of surprised by when I looked at the film a little bit more, Gary Harris, I mean, he, you think of him, especially compared to Kawhi, smaller. He's 6'4". He's third in the league among, basically among wing players at the rim. There's LeBron, there's Ben Simmons, and then there's Gary Harris at 69.8 at the restricted area. And it's not something you think about with a 6'4 guy, but he's really nifty around the rim. Uh, he really likes to go to a reverse when he's there. Um, and he's, you know, a former football player that, you know, isn't really intimidated, can take contact. Um, it's just little stuff that he does. And that's kind of what I like so much about these guys like him, like Mike Conley. They do little things. Drew Holiday, I think, is on that list too. They do little things that kind of don't get picked up until they're on a team with other star players that you really start to pay more attention to. I think if, if the Pelicans continue to win, I think people are going to pick up more on Drew Holiday. Um, he's getting paid like someone who's a superstar, but I don't think people realize how many little things he does that kind of impact winning over the course of a game. Yeah, and I think people are just surprised by like you know Gary Harris being you know as as valuable as good as he is, even though like the coaching staff like, thinks the world of him. Like they they want like Jokic to be more like him instead of him more like Jokic, and uh, like it's the consistency. It's just like you know being there every night. Um, so even though like Jamal Murray has you know you know played much better this season than last, and like much better later in the season than like whatever. Um, like, yeah, it's still, it's still Harris who's like the lead guard in that team. But it does help that they, at the trade deadline, kind of jettisoned another guard who wasn't playing as well and like hasn't played as well since. I know where this is going. Emmanuel Moutier, who has played a little more than, uh, 200 minutes on the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, so since he's, you know, arrived nine games ago and in those minutes, they have been outscored by a hundred points. <laughs> it is, uh, it's it's a phenomenal uh you know run of events for for guards you know currently on on the Nuggets and guards who no longer are on the Nuggets and when the Nuggets make trades with the New York Knicks uh how that tends to go yeah it ten, tends to not go so well for the Knicks for sure uh that'll do it for this week's show uh our podcast producers are as always Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson our podcast commissioners Chad Matlin. 
Keep sending us your questions and comments at podcast at 538.com, especially if you're a Knicks fan or an Emmanuel Moutier fan. Let us know what you think. Uh, whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you find us, be sure to review and rate the show. It helps others discover the program. For Kyle and Chris, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.